morning crypto. Good morning, Warriors. Hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from a top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Avs, joined by several members of our 3T family this morning. We got the Italian stallion, Mr. Johnny Crypto. The bearable bull will be joining us later in the episode. And also, we got the live chat joining us today. So thank you for being here, guys, on this Friday. I'm very excited for today's show. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we'll be discussing how Brad Garlinghouse had another groundbreaking interview in Davos yesterday, explaining how one catalyst in particular opens up the U.S. market. We're also going to discuss how VeChain is connecting billions of wallets through digital contracts, expanding the reach of the company as well as the token. And with the largest financial firms on the planet in the process of turning digital, we break down the details, showing our community how this next bull run is shaping up to be the greatest opportunity of our era. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcasts, our show is live on YouTube Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So Johnny Crypto, we got some exciting news to talk about. We got the Brad Garlinghouse interview, but this is an article I think all of our listeners are going to want to stick around for as VeChain is going to be launching smart contract wallets, connecting billions of people and companies for mass adoption and supply chain leadership. Really great article. I'm looking forward to breaking down. But how you feeling, my friend? Thanks for being here. Uh, it's Friday. Yeah. Good morning to all the Warrior Maniacs out there. We love you and appreciate you for showing up every single day. Uh, and Abs, I'm excited too. The weekend is here. The bearable bull is here. Everything's just beautiful. I can't wait to hop into it, buddy. I am excited. He's here. He's live. And he's the one and only, the bearable bull. Absolutely, guys. We got the bearable bull in the building. So first of all, how are you feeling this morning, my friend? There's a lot of exciting news we're going to get into, but Davos, it never fails to provide the content. So I'm really excited for today's show. How are you feeling this morning? How am I feeling this morning? I'm feeling great. Um, I just got off the phone with some of my favorite reptilians, and they let me know everything is ready from Davos, my friends. So Absolutely. It's going to be an absolute spectacle to behold. <laughs> it's an exciting time, guys, and we got the news to back up the content and the information. But we already got 302 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And we're going to start this thing off the same way we always do, by checking out the Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That's at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. Go smash that follow button for updates all throughout the day. When we look at some of our daily movers today, Johnny, it is red bubbles across the board. We've got Algorand down 8%, AVAX down 8%, Solana down 8% on the day. When we look at our Merlin market update today, we are sitting at $1.61 trillion in total market cap. Bitcoin is 49% dominance. Ethereum is about 18%. We've got Bitcoin sitting at $40,900. Excuse me, $40, Ethereum is $24.64. We've got Bitcoin. And guys, this is very important to note. Solana is 91, XRP is 54 cents, and Cardano trading at 49 cents. But this morning, I found a pretty exciting update from Jim Cramer. So while everybody is bearish, Jim Cramer has stepped in. And I'm excited to get your take on this, Johnny. As Jim Cramer's bearish on Bitcoin, he said this nasty sell-off is just beginning for Bitcoin. Someone's probably going to try to make a stand here, but we said it last night. You can't have an asset double in value by hundreds of billions in dollars in anticipation for an ETF, and then almost nobody shows up. So he's basically stating the ETF launch was a disappointment. What do you think, Johnny Crypto? Is this a bullish sign for the market? Uh, you know, I mean, 90% of the time, you just do the opposite of what Jim says, and it usually works. So, however, to keep his credibility and to be able to keep his show on TV, he's got to be right sometime. This may be one of those few times where, you know, I think we are. And I've been saying for a while, Abs, that I thought we'd be going down. 
until March. So I'm not going to go back on my word. I think we're going to continue to go down. You're seeing Bitcoin go down. Uh, you're seeing the miners go down. I, it wouldn't surprise me right now. I mean, let's let's face it. These whole things, the markets move on being able to steal your money with narratives. And there's no narrative anymore. The, the, the news is out. Everybody sold it like we told you was going to happen. And now the question is, you wait for the next narrative. Well, we all know which one that one is. That's coming in April, and that's the having. So my guess is we'll continue to go down until that time frame, and then we'll see where we go. I could be wrong. Who the hell knows? But that's what I'm. That's what. That's that was my theory. I'm sticking to it. Bull broadly, before we play these XRP videos, and we're gonna dive into some V chain content as well. What do you think about the ETF launch? A lot of people are pretending that it's been a negative catalyst, or not pretending, but they're putting a very negative spin on it. We've always said there's probably going to be a short-term sell-off because of the price run that it had up until the news, but that's not bearish for Bitcoin, guys. That's just on par for the course. We could easily see a 90-day pullback, a four-month pullback, and then we're back on course for our bull market, retesting all-time highs by November. So I just want to hear some of bearable bull thoughts, and then we'll continue with these videos. It's interesting to me how you could go out publicly stating that the ETF is a bull trap and a sell the news event, and then when it happens, people get upset and angry. You have to be able to look at these things and project these things from far away. Um, you know, there there are times where, you know, the market is very difficult and analysts get things wrong because that's natural and we're humans and we make mistakes. But overall, anyone trying to spin any bearish narratives on this ETF being launched, on this um, prices going lower, they're absolutely wrong. Um, mid to long term, this is one of the most bullish events in crypto history. And, you know, the institutions are knocking on the door. The floodgates are getting ready to open. Um, the immediate short term sell off is only it's a fart in the wind of the grand scheme of crypto. <laughs> That's what it is. Don't, don't stand up with them bulls. I agree with you. Yeah, I couldn't <laughs> agree with you more. <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more. This is, um, you know, as I've been always thinking, we were going to go down till, till March. This is not something that I think we're going down forever. Abs. I think this is a a oh, pullback. You got to have one of those to shake out some of the weak hands. But the bull is right. We've been saying on this show forever that this is a great thing for crypto in a sense where now these institutions are unlocked. And we've always told because, you. Go ahead, bull. Sorry about that, Johnny. Because it's, it's one of those things where you have to understand that um, it confirms credibility. Like yes. What you thought was going to what would have been bearish is if all ETFs got denied and then the right. SEC and Gary played the delay, delay, delay game. That would have been bearish to me. Right. That could have changed some things up, but it's confirmed. It's approved. We have our narratives and our fundamentals in place and and the growth is is inevitable. And so just just hold tight, my friends. We we're in the XRP army. We know how to be patient. Two to <laughs> three three to six months for much better times is absolutely nothing for us. So. That's like that's like yeah. For XRP army, forget about it. Six years and we we know how to handle it. Forget three months. That's nothing. That's like a, a dive in the bucket. Absolutely, Johnny. And we got 418 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. This is an update from Brad Garlinghouse out of Davos yesterday. And this quote really stuck out to me. It's about a 50-second clip. He said, now that there's clarity for Ripple, that XRP is not a security, that opens up the U.S. market a little bit. And there were a couple of key details within this video. First of all, Ripple has regulated partnerships, zero anonymous transactions. And the declaration that XRP is not a security 
it's the only token in the United States that can make that claim. So with all that being said, Johnny, here's an update from Brad Garlinghouse out of Davos and XRP security status within the USA. My view is this is a technology. This is an asset class that is here to stay. We need to embrace it and understand that. And I think ultimately the U.S. typically gets it right. It's just has taken a little while. My hope is that now that there is uh, at least clarity for Ripple, that XRP is not a security, that that opens up the U.S. market a little bit. Cross-border payments have been slow. They've been expensive. Using these technologies, we can dramatically reduce the cost and increase the speed and efficiency. Ripple only works with regulated financial institutions. You can't have anonymous transactions using Ripple's technology. I think anytime you have a new technology, crypto's kind of been around for 10 or almost 12 years, let's say, it's still new. I think in order for blockchain to thrive and for the largest population to benefit from these technologies, you can't have insular closed networks. Like along comes the internet to create interoperability. Crypto does that and can do that across many banks and provide dramatic improvements to how we think about money movement and really any transaction. In my view, a lot of statements there, Johnny, but you've often compared the launch of crypto to the launch of the internet. Creating interoperability for the financial system is something that doesn't exist today. I'm going to give you the open floor and we'll kick it to the bull. Yeah, the first question, did they run out of rooms inside? Are they not allowed to talk inside? Let's stick them out in the snow and the cold. But, you know, yeah, at the end of the day, Brad said a lot of good things there. One of the most significant ones being finally the door is open for him to be able to, for their company to be able to, to push and talk with companies in the U.S. You know, we've heard him say over and over again in the past, you know, they would go knocking on the door. <laughs> Nobody would answer the door. Like, oh, you're the SEC's all over. You don't come near us, right? And those days are over, at least for now, for Ripple, where they now have the ability to start having conversations that, unfortunately, they lost three years, three precious years of being able to cultivate, um, nurture, and be able to get their technology in the door so companies can test it and trial it out. Now, I think you're going to see that change up. You're really going to see the wheels start to turn and companies will start to try the technology in the U.S. That's going to be a very, very good thing for them as a whole to be able to push the technology. But listen to one thing he said, very interesting. He said crypto is an asset class. And what did we hear the lady from the IMF say the other day? Crypto is not a currency. It's an asset class. You're going to hear more and more of everybody trying to convince you that crypto is an asset class and not a currency. Because they don't want any competition. Bearable bull. So he said something that really stuck out to me. First of all, he talked about the U.S. market and the unique advantage that XRP has as being a non-security, at least from Ripple's perspective. But we also didn't play this portion of the clip. He criticized Gary Gensler very openly yesterday for going after broad range of currencies. In this latest lawsuit against Coinbase, they're alleging that 13 separate assets with completely different use cases from gaming to staking to to the Nexo token, which is just like a derivative of the company. They went after different portions of the market. And I think they're painting with a broad brush for the re for this particular reason. You can't regulate this market by going after 22,000 projects, but you can regulate this market by going after seven major exchanges and alleging that they're selling unregistered security. So while all that's playing out before our eyes, XRP is in a unique situation where it doesn't have to go through that whole battle. And that I guess that forefront is behind us. With that being said, what'd you take away from Brad's clip? I find what Jeremy Hogan said exactly two and a half years ago to be oh so true. And that is XRP is going to get dragged through the mud first, but then we're going to be very happy and very grateful that we went through the ringer first when everything's said and done and everyone else is going to get got, for lack of a better term. 
Um, I've always been a big believer that 99% of crypto needs to die. 99% of crypto are shit coins uh, as exit scams or non-viable businesses. I genuinely believe for the market to gain the credibility it needs, a big filter like that needs to happen. Um, Gary is clearly a weakling and a weasel and a Mr. Burns looking ass. And he's one of those individuals that is really going to end up catalyzing and bringing up the CFTC, ironically enough, after he left and weakened it to the fullest extent that he possibly could. I saw Caroline Pham recently with Brad Garlinghouse um, just discussing crypto policy on a panel. They continue to gain more strength while the SEC continues to lose more strength. I remember vividly how frustrating it was being an XRP holder while we were in the midst of 2021 and we only reached $2. But the reason that happened is because retail couldn't get it in America anywhere. You couldn't get it on Coinbase. You couldn't get it on Binance. You couldn't get it on any exchange in America. This time around, that's different. XRP might be one of the only cryptos that you're legally allowed to get on these exchanges. And that's not a doom and gloom prediction. That's just... If the SEC gets their way, and if businesses want to play the same game they did with XRP, with this Gary, with these lawsuits that Coinbase has and other exchanges have, it's it's going to be interesting to see how 2024 plays out with some cryptos versus others. But XRP's year is 2024, in my opinion. And we agree on that bearable bull. We got 531 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. A special thank you to the bearable bull for joining us this morning. Johnny, another thing that really stuck out to me about this clip, and he talked about the price action of XRP over the last couple of years, but the great washout of cryptocurrencies is yet to take place. And Brad Garlinghouse was uh, acknowledging that at Davos yesterday. Everyone knows the narrative. 99% of crypto will go away. When you listen to the SEC, when you listen to Brad Garlinghouse, David Schwartz, the most powerful people in the space, they all acknowledge this. Well, obviously that hasn't happened yet. So we're going to have to break that down. But I wanted to play this clip from Brad Garlinghouse yesterday out of Davos because what he explains here is that that moment isn't very far away. And while we call 2024 the year of tokenization, it might be considered the year of regulation, Johnny. So with that being said, this is Brad Garlinghouse out of Davos. And I think what we haven't seen yet that I still think we will eventually see is a separation of wheat and chaff of you know, what are the assets? How are these technologies being used to solve real problems that have real demand versus ones, you know, I'll I'll pick on Dogecoin. I don't get it. You know, other than Elon Musk as the central actor, you know, uh, I don't see the the use case and the purpose. uh, And I'm sure I'll get lots of shit for saying that Dogecoin's, uh, but you know, oh well. And we talked about that yesterday, Johnny. What's the biggest thing? What's the biggest factor that Dogecoin has here? Elon Musk finds it funny. Floor is yours. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Basically, what has to happen here is what happened back in, you know, the the, the late 90s or early 2000s when you were in diapers, Abs, is basically you have this whole new market being created. You are, you have them being created, and and then you're going to get a big speculative bubble, and then boom, it pops, and a lot of the shit, all, all the turds come out, and all the turds get flushed down the toilet, and then the, the companies that survive begin to move on into real-world utility. I envision the same exact thing is going to happen here. We're going to have the next three, four years of all this speculative, crazy bull runs and all this, all this stuff. Everything's pumping and, you know, and everybody's happy and everybody's high on all this hopium. And then what's going to happen somewhere, people are going to realize, oh, man, 
Doge is really a shit coin that has no utility. <laughs> and the safe moon and all these other have no utility and they're all gonna crap out and die. And Pepe and memes, all these memes and all this other shit stuff. And then the real stuff, you know, real companies that are backed by real world utility solved by real money with real connections, with real adoption, with real trials in place. Those are the kind of companies that will survive. Some of them will buy up some of the other companies. You get a natural phase of consolidation and then we move forward. And that's the part that he's talking about that hasn't happened yet. That's going to wipe out 99% of the, of the, of the crap. So make sure you have a lot of toilet paper with you. It's also a good time for bargain hunting if you know what you're doing, but you have to be able to, while we're pumping and getting that speculative phase, you have to be able, you better have an exit plan. You better be able to take some profits out. And boy, you're going to be in a really, really good position to buy some stuff at the end. Bull, one of the things that we're going to go through as real world utility comes into this market is we're going to have a huge influx of liquidity. But then I think over time, volatility is going to diminish. I think in the crypto market, these 90% pullbacks in a bear market and 700Xs in a bull run, these will be a thing of the past. It might take five years, it might take 10 years. But I believe that our kids, that's for sure, will not have a market with this type of volatility, at least if things keep trending the way that they are. But this is a quote that stuck out to me before I kick it over to you, because Monica Long, the president of Ripple, agrees with what you said, Bearable Bull. She says in 2024, we will break the speculative hype cycles that have defined the booms and busts for the industry. At, we as an industry will break the cycle by paving the foundation for real world utility at scale. And the biggest breakthrough in 2024 will be pioneering compliance for decentralized finance. That doesn't even address tokenization, and we know we can talk about that later in the episode, but what do you think about Monica Long's statements correlating with yourself? I think you said it really well, right? I think we're the early crypto OGs that had to suffer through 99% crashes, through altcoins and, and four-year bears and Bitcoin being the only crypto that leads the cycle and other cryptos can't possibly go up in price during a bear market, even though Bitcoin is struggling. And yeah, I think this market is going to trade more like stocks when everything's said and done. It'll be a lot more stable. That's not to say that stocks are necessarily stable, but uh, I think you guys know what I mean. It'll be more, it'll be slower, it won't be as aggressive. XRP won't be able to go up just 1200% in a week the same way it was. so that's that's kind of what I think we're getting at here is that we are in a unique position before this market is really into the 5 10 even 20 trillion dollar um asset market so because of that the ROI is there um the potential losses are are tremendous as well too so that's why we need to be careful but also be patient because the long term is guaranteed my friends the long term is always guaranteed and and when you zoom out you always know um you always remember what it's for so there's a great saying in uh, in business and they always say if you're not early you're late guys so undoubtedly we are early we have not seen this first of all we haven't seen a regulation moment a mass adoption moment we also haven't seen the great washout that we just discussed a couple of minutes ago 99% of these projects are set to go away. There's 22,000 in existence, 12,000 are currently functioning. That means there's probably going to be 120 to 200 projects that dominate this market over the next 10 years. And it's our job to figure out which ones they will be. But really quick, before we move on here, Bull, there was another quote that stuck out to me from the Ripple predictions in 2024. And they stated here, a major US retailer will accept cryptocurrency as a form of payment, allowing Americans the ability to use blockchain-based payments for everyday purchases. We speculated, who could this be? Is it going to be an e-commerce giant like Amazon? Is it going to be a tech giant like Microsoft or Apple? 
I just want to get some speculation from you. If there's going to be a company to move first, especially when it comes to crypto technology in general, who do you think is going to be the first one to step in? Maybe it's X. I don't know. Terrible. Ball. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked to see. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked to see Elon and, and X really. I hate calling it X. I still call it Twitter. Um, yeah. I, I think Elon is more tech forward. He might bring on some Bitcoin micropayments, something like that. I think we're seeing a lot of uh dude we're seeing amazon no card station stores you could just walk in and leave on a dime so imagine just having a crypto wallet on there prepaying on your crypto wallet or or they just qr code it with the whatever payment provider they want to use and yeah it's 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 going to be one of those for sure it needs to be someone big but just just look at the improvements made from countries like El Salvador that have really been looking into that technology more, like more Bitcoin, more tech forward. I think Argentina is trying to make progress with switching over to the dollar and maybe being more Bitcoin friendly as well. So I'm very uh, I'm very excited to see that. I think I wouldn't be surprised to see a more crypto payment option for retail around the world and here's another example because me and johnny have often debated what's going to cause congress to actually act and create some regulation around these technologies well yesterday the supreme court started to address crypto regulation and they're putting a little bit of pressure on congress to act here i'm going to read a quote that david schwartz put out and this is from yesterday on how we've regulated crypto in the u.s and why that's the case so the supreme court stated today i would think that the unique you or uniquely 21st century phenomenon of cryptocurrency would have been addressed by Congress. And I certainly would have thought that it would have been true in the wake of the FTX debacle. But what has happened? Why hasn't it happened? Because there's an agency, there's an agency head out there referring to Gary Gensler here that thinks he already has the authority to address this unique 21st century problem with a couple statues passed in the 1930s. He's going to wave his wand and he's going to say words like investment contract or ambiguous, but that's going to suck all of this into my regulatory ambit, even though the same person when he was a professor said this is possibly or probably a job for the CFTC. So now we're seeing the Supreme Court step in here, guys, and we're, they're getting pretty vocal, not just about the need for regulation, but how Gary Gensler has handled it thus far. Bolo, I just want to get a live reaction from you. What do you think about these statements? Is this going to put pressure on Congress to act when it comes to crypto regulation? I hate American politics. I think... Gary Gensler was put in there for specifically for an agenda. It's so interesting to see his progression from the CFTC to uh, to weakening that organization to where we are now, to where they couldn't really regulate crypto how they wanted to because of Gary Gensler's legacy from the CFTC. Now, the SEC was the one that was empowered and thought regulation by enforcement was going to give them more power over the market. And then Elizabeth Warren with with the Democrats in power right now, they'll want an anti-crypto army. Then this is over here. They, they're they confident in themselves. But then the big bust that happened, my friends. Sam Bankman freed an FTX and his campaign donations and his ties to a lot of political organizations and his ties to Gary. And why did he get all these meetings when at the same time other legitimate crypto businesses can get on the phone with Gary and it's it's so infuriating to see the politics hinder innovation in America. That's not what this 
this country was founded on. We were founded on innovation and entrepreneurship and and being leaders in, in the space. And we're definitely not a leader in the blockchain revolution. And that's so frustrating to see. I think Gary Gunsler, by the time he's he's out of there, his legacy will be one of a complete catastrophe and oblivion. If it's not already, he's 0-3 in court and uh, the Supreme Court, fortunately, is more anti-government overreach. I think that's a good example of checks and balances being in place and and limiting, you know, politicians from doing what they want to do as opposed to what's legal. So, you know, who else gets to be zero and three and still keep their job? But the reality is, you know, <laughs> don't don't keep that. Yo, Abs, I'll tell you this: you don't want to give Gary Gensler and, and and Schwartz is wrong there. As smart as he is, he's given Gensler way too much credit. Gensler is not the guy controlling all this, guys. I'm sorry. He's just the puppet. He's, he's got a boss, and his administration has said, this is the agenda you're going to push, and that's what he's pushing. If everybody thinks Gary Gensler is the one guy that's opposing the administration and he's doing what he wants against what the administration wants, I got a nice bridge in Brooklyn I'm happy to sell you. Give me a call after the show later. I'll be happy to sell you that thing. How big is it? It's very oh, it's really big, dude. And it's got great tolls on it, makes good income, great cash flow. Just give me a call. I'll be happy to sell you that. Thing. Well, you guys have often said you said it three times in a row. Gary's 0-3 in court, losing to Ripple, losing to Grayscale. We're also going to talk about Kraken, but let's address the Coinbase lawsuit and the L's that have been handed out this week, Johnny Crypto, because the SEC is getting a dose of reality here, guys. They're arguing two things that are contrary. They're arguing that Coinbase is offering unregistered securities, but that they aren't promoting the product. Impossible, but let's listen to how they decide this thing. It's about a three-minute clip. We won't play the whole thing, but we're going to kick it straight to Johnny. Here we go. Why and what they're trying to achieve with this motion to deny? Listen in. I'd like to understand that a little bit more. I, I, I believe that Coinbase disagrees with you and says it's not that big a deal. But you've made mention of the um, uniqueness of it. I'd like to understand why, why I should care. If what you're arguing is that Coinbase is somehow, by providing these intermediation services, violating the securities laws, that the actual token issuers are themselves violating the securities laws. Is that correct? Uh, well, n- not exactly, Your Honor. Okay. When, when the issuers decided to issue these tokens, um, SOL or SOL, for example, do you believe they were issuing securities? If, if, yes, Your Honor, yes, there, we were. You're saying that as to these 12 or 13 tokens, when they were initially issued, these tokens were themselves securities? Yes, Your Honor. Okay. We're not claiming that Coinbase is, is the issuer. Are you arguing that they're a promoter in any respect? A, a, a promoter of, of the offer or sale, not in the traditional sense of what you would call promotion. Okay. So, so no, no, not, not in that context, no. And, I mean, what's, what's the third party that I care about here? The how he just speaks to it. So what is the third? Is it the, is it the actions of the issuers themselves? The, the focus is going to be on the actions of the issuer, the and, and the developer and the project team together. At the end of the day, the, the, these 12 or, or, or 13 tokens, they are just computer code. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, 
because that's kind of what your friends at the back table are saying, and they're wondering why we're here. And so, so okay, yes. And, and I promise, Your Honor, I will, I, 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 I will get you there. Actually, that's what we call an old-fashioned beatdown, my friend. It's <laughs> a pow, ping, ping. It's got an old-school yeah, beatdown like I've never seen before. I mean, that was be the judge. Kudos to the judge for doing her homework and understanding the technology to be able to ask the right questions and give a give a give a smackdown. That is exactly right. That's a WWE. If The Rock was here, he'd be so excited. He's like, "Can you smell what the judge is cooking?" Because man, she laid it hard on them. And at the end of the day, what you heard her say was basically she was calling out. And she literally just said. That and she got the SEC to confirm it that the that the actual exchange is not the issuer, maybe the promoter, but not the issuer of these things. So why are we even here? Because the reality is, Coinbase didn't create these tokens. They didn't promote a profit for them, right? So when you look at what's deemed a security, there's four elements to the test. One of them is you have to have to have been creator of them. Two, you have to have been promoting them. As as a profitability of that they were going to great guarantee some profit, I don't ever remember going out there and seeing Coinbase telling me that I should buy XRP because I'm going to gain so much, you know, promise me a profit or return. So I think I think this case is, you know, I think the SEC is in a lot of trouble. I think they're on the way to being zero and four. And really, the only job you get to keep at that point is to be a weather, you know, tell the weather because those guys can also be wrong ninety percent of the time and still keep their jobs. Bearable Bull, we got another clip to talk about XRP because they go into the details. But any response to the initial part of this video, they're just getting smacked down publicly. And I think it's exciting because oftentimes we've heard regulation will come through the courts. This is a great example. What stuck out to you? His stuttering, his weakness, his lack of a concise and um, articulate argument. That's how he sounded the whole time. And uh, that, that's a very smart judge. She's asking very pointed questions. And you can tell she's really taking the time to like try and figure out the issuance versus code problem versus exchange versus, you know, all of this. So she's she's very smart. She's doing her thing. And um, yeah, the courts are really checking the SEC perfectly, you know, so. Um, these lawyers really, if they want to save their careers, to be frank, they should probably abandon a lot of these cases because the cases are being filed and they're, they're getting completely pummeled left and right. So, and Johnny, this is where we can debate if it is all WWE, because would the SEC plan to lose in court? I don't think so, but we can debate it after this next take because XRP also plays a role in the Coinbase case. Let's listen to what he has to say going back to the win against X or the loss against XRP. Listen in. If we look at the, the Chile token, for example, they launched the network and then they continue to expand and add value to it. How does that play out in, in, in real practice? Well, if you look at Chile, the original white paper and its website feature biographies of the, um, the, the founders. In fact, in one tweet that they sent out, it's, quote, demand for CHD exploded, going to bring a lot of value. And they also made efforts to, to drive secondary market trading by burning, and that's a term for, you know, 
creating scarcity in the tokens to make them more valuable. And so this is where you're disagreeing with Judge Torres in the, uh, in the Ripple case. Correct, Your Honor. So already been proven. And what she was talking about is Torres's findings on the Ripple case, which. And there you have it. I just wanted him to play that last sentence, guys, because it's already been proven. There's no debate about it. That's why it's being referenced in court. But uh, what do you think, Bull? I want to move on. We got some other exciting stuff to get into. Oh, with with respects to just the Judge Torres decision to being, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like like I said earlier, XRP and Ripple paved the way for the rest of the market to be able to use this in court legally. I've said this time and time again. We had this. We had to suffer so the rest of crypto could thrive. Um, we we ran through the quicksand so everyone else can sprint. And I hate to say that to the community because, you know, a lot of our holdings suffered because of it. We didn't really get to get the Solana like bull runs or the, you know, Dogecoin like bull runs, unfortunately. Right. So we had to do that, unfortunately. But now moving forward, everything looks looks excellent for us. I think March, April, we have the inevitable conclusion officially for the ripple lawsuit i think that's going to be so important and massive just for everyone and the background price as well so it's it's going to be a special time my friends it's going to be a special time i think as much as the maxis and other communities hate the xrp um ecosystem environment narrative the quote bankers coin they're going to be behind closed doors they're going to be grateful like, yeah you know those ripple guys they really they really got got to hand it to them <laughs> thank god they took thank god they took one for the team right bull that's what they're going they to be saying took about. one for the team yeah took one for the team hey abs just to wrap yeah. up your question about the wwe statement and to going there to lose or win um who said that was the plan that's the beautiful thing of a WWE script. I don't think they ever had an intention of winning. I think the intention was to delay. The punishment and, is just the process. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we saw. We saw a major delay. We saw Ripple lose three years of, the, of pushing their technology and being able to get the adoption here. We saw crypto as a whole, you know, kind of being under question. And now we see them using the same approach to go after and penalize other companies. They were able to shut down staking and Nexo and Unkraken and other things. So they they've they've basically done a lot of damage here in their delaying in their in their in the shutting down of the staking um, in in the U.S. So I would say that you know not necessarily to win, but create a lot of damage. And they went and they absolutely did that. In my opinion. Johnny, we're going to play this video very briefly because this is Brad Garlinghouse yesterday at Davos, and he breaks down a lot of things. JP Morgan, why they're criticizing this stuff, the U.S. emergence of cryptocurrency technologies. But here's what we got to pay attention to, guys. In 2021 and 2017, a lot of the narratives were speculation-based. We're now moving into an environment where we're talking about real partnerships, real utility, and the reason these companies want to use it is because they're ready to profit off of this technology. We already got 700 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. Here's Brad Garlinghouse out of Davos. Global financial institutions. Take, take us through that. How? So Ripple at its core, uh, we sell blockchain technologies and solutions to enterprises. We focus primarily on financial institutions. We started... been slow they've been expensive using these technologies we can dramatically 
it's nascent. And although crypto has kind of been around for 10 or almost 12 years, let's say, it's still new. Even JP Morgan, despite Jamie Dimon's comments about how he thinks about crypto, they're investing heavily in blockchain technologies. Now, I think in order for blockchain to thrive and for the largest population to benefit from these technologies, you can't have insular closed networks. Like the, It's kind of like the internet. The internet opened up networks. You had AOL and CompuServe and Prodigy. Along comes the internet to create interoperability. Crypto does that and can do that across many banks and to provide dramatic improvements to how we think about money movement and really any transaction. Recently, you called the Securities and Exchange Commission Chairman Gary Gensler a, quote, political liability to the United States. Uh, you said he's acting in the interests of citizenry or the long-term growth of the economy, that he's not acting uh, in the, uh, on behalf of, of customers and users. Tell us more. Well, look, I think uh, Gary Gensler has prioritized hiring more lawyers to litigate the industry. And this is often described as regulation through enforcement. If we just took the time to codify rules of the road, most of the industry in crypto wants to follow the rules of the road. In the United States, we haven't done this work. I, I jokingly suggested maybe what we should just do is type into chat GBT, how should the US, <laughs> yeah. that's more than the US <laughs> yeah. SEC true. has done. And it's frustrating. And I think uh, even, I guess, yesterday, there was a, a court hearing between Coinbase and the SEC. And the, the judicial system continues to slap down the SEC because they're overreaching. They're overstepping what the laws say. It's the reason why they lost the case against Ripple. It's the reason why they lost the case against Grayscale. It's the reason why they were dragged kicking and screaming to have an ETF. Thus, you know, as I was quoted, I think uh, Gary Gensler hasn't been acting. He's been acting on almost his own agenda, not the people's agenda in the United States. You know, I I wish I had a clear answer to that. I I think these are technologies that are here to stay. And the ETF approval is, I think, further indication of that. It's just frustrating that we're spending so much time in the judicial process to get clarity when we could do that as many other countries like Japan, the UK, the UAE, Switzerland here in Switzerland. These are not small economies. They're doing the work to provide that clarity. And in the U.S., I think it's become a political agenda, not a policy agenda. From someone who studied this as many years as you have, what would be the proper framework on a regulatory environment that needs to be in place? Well, I think the number one thing I think about is not about regulating the technology. It's about regulating the outcomes and the activity. Just because we have new, new technologies, we should still care about things like KYC, Know Your Customer. We should still care about anti-money laundering, AML. Those are principles that are, are, I think, sacrosanct. I think the U.S. SEC has been trying to expand their remit to say, well, this new market, a $1.7 trillion market of crypto assets, is going to be under the remit of the SEC in the United States. The law does not support that. The CFTC is a much more natural regulator. And, you know, things people will say, well, what about FTX? And, you know, ironically, Gary Gensler was meeting with Sam Bankman-Fried repeatedly. You know, FTX isn't about a crypto fraud. FTX is about a fraud. It happens to have been crypto, and it definitely was a self-inflicted wound for the industry. Are you clear on who the regulators are? Because it seems like there are still questions, SEC, CFTC, or maybe everybody. Well, in the U.S., there's still confusion, for sure. Uh, Outside of the U.S., and the reason why Ripple has continued to grow very quickly outside the U.S., 95% of our customers are non-U.S. financial institutions. 75% of our hiring last year was outside the United States because of this. But yet, if you go back to the earliest days of the Internet, the U.S. did the work and provided clarity of how the Internet would be regulated. And the Internet today is, on a geopolitical basis, has 
benefited the United States more than any other country. It's a great point. I want to get your take on what the CEO of Circle said. He says he sees a strong chance that the U.S. passes laws for stablecoin issues this year. Brad, tell us about the stablecoin and the potential looming regulation there. So I think the, the regulation there is appropriate. I think it is the priority uh, on Capitol Hill. I've spent a bunch of time in Washington, D.C. The U.S. Treasury, I mean, stablecoins, 95 plus percent of the market of stablecoins is the U.S. dollar stablecoin. You have Tether, you have USDC. And I think the U.S. Treasury wants to see that those laws passed. And I think they will be pushing Congress to act. And I think that's that's good. That's forward progress. Uh, there are new dynamics of what stablecoins mean to uh, financials kind of settlement. And so uh, I think you know, the uh, CEO, Jeremy Allaire of Circle, is, is correct that that'll probably happen the first half of this year. Um, Today, you know, there are the off-ramps through typically exchanges like Coinbase that are very good actors, where I think you are able to enforce these kinds of regulations. That's part of the, you know, the self-inflicted wound of a settlement with Binance, the largest exchange in the world uh, with the U.S. government, you know, I think a few months ago. Well, that does this mean for you in terms of new business opportunities now that that's behind? Look, we, Ripple really thrived under the scrutiny of the SEC, but outside the United States. My hope is that now that there is uh, at least clarity for Ripple, that XRP is not a security, that that opens up the U.S. market a little bit. The challenge, of course, is you still have U.S. regulators who are pretty hostile, right? The, the SEC continues their uh, litigation, enforcement through litigation, and you know, even the OCC has been pretty negative about crypto. My view is this is a technology, this is an asset class that is here to stay. We need to embrace it and understand that. And I think ultimately the U.S. typically gets it right. It's just taken a little while. There are a lot of very good actors in crypto who are doing the right thing. Ripple only works with regulated financial institutions. You can't have anonymous transactions using Ripple's technology. So you know, some of those things, I think, are good political talking points. They're not reality. Yeah, well said. Brad, great to have you this morning. Thank you. Thank so we had to play that whole clip, guys. That's a little highlight film I made from Brad Garlinghouse yesterday. We got 755 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. A special thank you to the bearable bull. One thing that's very clear, regulation is coming globally, and the U.S. is falling behind. We're now seeing Senate. We're now seeing Congress beginning to have these conversations, bull. And it's meetings like Davos that really put the pressure on the international businesses if Singapore and Japan can now communicate, if China and India can now communicate using blockchain services, but JP Morgan in the USA is left on the sidelines, I see no situation where that takes place. So with that being said, what were some of your biggest takeaways from that six-minute highlight video, Brad Garlinghouse? I think it's just the confidence of a CEO. You know, it's it's one of those things where we fought the good fight and now we're focusing on expansion. Right. They've been expanding internationally everywhere. Um, XRP and Ripple, they're just they're not just limited by the United States and U.S. regulators. Um, I believe Brad said that he Ripple could IPO outside of America if they wanted to. So it's one of those things where you have to think cross border, international, globalized. That is this. That is where the world is going, where I think we can get American blinders on ourselves sometimes and think we're the epicenter of everything. And that's absolutely not true. I think a lot of crypto adoption is going to really kick off and really accelerate overseas first. And then we're going to see um, America, you know, following behind, right? Unfortunately. So it's one of those things where uh, I like the way he's speaking. I, I like, um, 
the potential of, of stablecoin regulation. I think that's important. And all of these infrastructure plays that we're seeing now are going to inevitably um, lay the grounds for solid foundation for the entire space to go exponential, right? Every little piece of news and every piece of regulation that we read about now, we see in the price a few months into the future. So just remember that, guys. Johnny Crypto, there was a couple of things that stuck out to me. And when he talked about the United States market, I'm not going to lie. He didn't sound overly optimistic. He pretty much just sounded like, you know, we're par for the course right now. We got Gary Gensler holding us back. The SEC is not going to approve any of these XRP products, at least until April when this thing is officially closed. But we got to read those reports because I think a lot of times the data really does speak for itself. And the latest report out of Ripple, this is January 18th, 2024 is that 50% of Ripple's ODL transactions are using XRP. That's amazing. That's awesome to hear because as their ecosystem continues to expand, we're going to see more big companies not only using XRP for things like cross-border payments, but tokenization, smart contract hooks, maybe even independent earn, uh, earning yield through lending programs. So all of this stuff is really yet to take place. When you hear Brad Garlinghouse, he didn't sound overly optimistic about the USA from my perspective. What was your takeaway, Johnny? Well, no, I mean, you heard him say that for the past few years, you know, 95% of their business has been done outside of the U.S. And that 75% of their hirings were, hirings were outside of the U.S. For obvious reasons. They could not get anything done in the U.S. They were struggling. They couldn't do anything. And they've also come out, and after they've won the lawsuit, they've come out and said that the sentiment has changed and that companies have been more willing to work with them. But these things take time. You know, they're spinning it around. They're starting to get, you know, make some waves. They're knocking on doors. Some people are now answering the doors. And so they can start to build that back up again. But again, that takes time. They've put, they've shifted all their gears and focused all their energy outside the U.S. for three and a half years. And now you've got to kind of turn that energy, you know, around and refocus it inside. And large companies can't move that quick. So the reality is they're going to make progress here. They, they now have the clarity they need in the U.S. to, to, to operate. Um, and, you know, but, you know, he said a couple things there. He's like, oh, I don't know where this is coming from. We all know where this is coming from. This is the administration that, that's in charge that's pushing this narrative, the same narratives. That's what that's what Gary's pushing. Um, and it isn't going to change until that sentiment or that narrative changes. That we've been telling you, it doesn't matter who's in that chair. You need the sentiment at the top to change. And then we're also governing this whole thing by an old, old test, a Howie test that does not is not applicable to this technology. And the question is, are we going to get a new Howey test from Congress, right? Congress ultimately, will we see will we see real regulation from Congress, which nullifies the Howey test? Remember, we're governing by the Howey test because the courts made a rule and we're living by that because Congress didn't do their job. If Congress does their job and creates regulation, the Howey test goes out the door. And then the regulation, what drives that regulation is whatever laws Congress puts in place. And that's what we need to see here. Because right now, we just saw that the Howey test, it's just not applicable to 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 this technology but yet the sec is forcing itself to use it we'll see how long that lasts and johnny you make a great point i never even thought about it from that perspective that once congress does pass laws the howie test becomes immediately irrelevant Correct. we don't even need to apply it anymore which is actually very very good for all projects in the crypto space because the howie test was built for oranges it was built for an orange grove in florida which is very very interesting shout out to the floridians Take out it there. another step further when regulation actually does get created by Congress, if it does, the ruling of this court case no longer matters. 
So while everybody's saying XRP is not a security, that is only true right now. If Congress creates regulation that, you know, Jim, whatever that is, then everything has to meet what the laws are. Right now, we're being governed by the outcase of the by the outcome of this case. That's only because we don't have regulation from Congress. So very, very important to understand that that's the law today. But if Congress creates regulation, that becomes the real law and that that supersedes any court ruling. Well, I want to get some of your thoughts, but we know that Ethereum ETF is going to be addressed this year. And BlackRock CEO backs the idea of an Ether ETF being launched in the USA. I think this is going to be huge for all ecosystems because if they approve an Ethereum ETF, they're going to have a very difficult time declining other altcoin products. And remember this, guys, back in 2020, before Ripple was sued by the SEC, Grayscale launched an XRP trust. It had it involved in its digital large cap fund, which is a decentralized portfolio. It consisted of Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana, Cardano, AVAX, and, and XRP. And they had their own trust for XRP alone. It was called an XRP trust. That application was revoked due to the SEC lawsuit against Ripple. But here's the opposite end of that. When products start to get approved, they're going to have a very difficult time shutting down uh, altcoin products for Solana, Cardano, Matic, XRP, XLM, whatever altcoin you'd like to apply, HBAR, Algorand. I don't want to leave anybody out of the party. But this is what's on the horizon for Ethereum here. And Bull, I'm going to kick it straight to you. But Grayscale's Ethereum ETF needs to be addressed on January of 2024, January 25th. Then we've got on February 6th, the Galaxy Digital and Investico ETFs. Fidelity is set for March 5th and BlackRock. That's going to be addressed in May. So everyone's celebrating the, the Bitcoin ETF, buy the rumors, sell the news. These are the things I think are going to have an impact. Decentralized altcoin products that are 30% Bitcoin, 20% Ethereum, and then 10% of our favorite altcoins. That's yet to exist. That is going to create so much opportunity for the altcoin market because you can now have those portfolios in people retirement funds. That's why this is such a big catalyst, guys. You could take your 401k, connect it to the Grayscale Trust through your financial advisor, and now you have exposure to the top 20 crypto assets without ever learning how to use an exchange. It's a huge change in the way that we interact with the crypto market, and that's why I'm making such a big deal out of it. But Bearable Bull, what do you think about the Ethereum ETF being a positive catalyst for all the altcoins. Once the boomers get in, we bust. <laughs> That's what Shout I like to, to my say. boy. And but this is but the reason I say it that way is because once things get that easy, where you could just call your investment advisor, move things over without you having to, you know, have your own offline wallets and set up accounts on Coinbase and then move it off so you don't get destroyed like when an FTX or a Celsius you know explodes that is when the roi is gone when things are easy thing that it's over right when things are easy that's when the herd is getting in that is when i will be selling and taking a, a massive amount of profit so I, I believe the day the bitcoin etf got approved ether went up 10 percent. <laughs> isn't that hilarious why because the big boys front run the market they understand that that's a sell the news event. That's going to be the peak. Boom. This is great for the future. But right now I'm taking my money. Where can I rotate my profits into? Oh, ETH is probably next. And we saw that. The market thinks so. And with that approval, it's it's only natural. So an Ethereum ETF is likely it'll probably get approved as well. 
at some point. Um, people are speculating an XRP one two can come after the conclusion of the case. I don't see why not. But the big alts that get incorporated into some of these major products down the road um, once once things like this happen, that's that's where the real volume and the real ROI is going to be. So pick your winners now, my friends. These technologies are so cheap, so cheap. Any any short term, twenty percent pullback, thirty percent pullback is is irrelevant. If if you have some cash on the side and you've been waiting and hesitant, listen. Not financial advice, but follow this anyway, my friends. This is DCA time. DCA like a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? It's it's, yeah, it's, yeah. Interesting, it's an interesting time, Bull, because I, I've drawn this comparison before. And Johnny, speak for the boomers during this conversation, because I think what crypto is for our generation, millennials, Gen Z, whatever we are, I think that's what the real estate market was for boomers. Anybody who bought a house in the 1970s and just sat on that property, purchased it for $10,000 and is now selling it for $900,000. That's the cryptocurrency market at, as a whole right now. Are, are a lot of these projects going to go away? Absolutely. But if Ethereum's ecosystem can survive 30 years, 40 years, you can play with these price predictions all day. What's the fiat system going to be in 30 years? No idea. But what's the cryptocurrency going to be? Massively, massively beyond where we are today. So I don't know if that makes sense in your head. If you think about how assets appreciated over time due to the depreciation of fiat, I think cryptocurrencies are going to have the same benefit over these next couple of decades. What do you think? Yeah, you might not be wrong about that. I think the difference is for, for, for boomers, they look to invest in things they understand. And the two things they understand, or actually three things they primarily understand, is real estate, stock market, and gold. Those are the things they understand. You talk to a boomer about crypto, they're like, what? How does that was Bitcoin? They have no desire for it because they don't understand how to get it. They don't understand what it is. Digital money, digital gold. No, they'd rather prefer to stick with what they understand. And that's really what you're looking at there. That's typically the difference, Abs. Terrible bull. I'm going to kick it straight back to you because I found this video yesterday that we showed on our show. I saw you played it in your one of your YouTube videos as well. So we're not going to play it again right here. But the purpose for showing this is that these types of conversations are now happening where tribalism is turning into a community. We're seeing a collaboration from Algorand and HBAR on a decentralized wallet then we got an update this week where Ripple CEO Brad Garlinghouse said he would be open to collaborating with HBAR in order to work on some new ideas. If they can benefit off one another, he sees no reason to not have those conversations. That was my big takeaway, that we're moving from a stage of tribalism into a stage of collaboration. What was your biggest takeaway from this Ripple CEO and HBAR co-founder discussing the possibility of working together? When smart people and successful people work together, magic happens. And there's no reason for... Uh, all the tribalistic nonsense that has, you know, been pervasive in the crypto space to continue. I think people are beginning to realize that we are stronger together than apart. They cannot divide and conquer us when we are united. And it's it's all about one goal, one mission to build a decentralized ecosystem, a more back to the future if you will, ecosystem. And I'm really excited. I'm really excited to see some of my favorite projects working closer together. You know, networking, when when these big boys go to these style events and they talk to each other face to face, that is 
where the magic happens. That is where collaboration is is built. You know, backdoor rooms, my friends, handshakes, wink, wink winks, hush hushes. That is that is how the world moves. So keep that in. Well, mind. I want to I want to transition into a little bit of Flare content here because earlier this week we got an announcement that Google Cloud was going to be running a validator on Flare. Only making and I, we we highlighted it. We went through a couple of articles, but just broadly, what did you take away from the news? We know that Google Cloud has always been interested in in blockchain services. We saw them partner with Hedera in twenty nineteen or twenty twenty. They've worked with Algorand. They've worked with a couple of other projects. But becoming a validator for Flare, what did that mean to you as somebody who holds a token? I think that the XRP ecosystem as a whole is going to absolutely explode and thrive in twenty twenty four. Um, I got my flair for free and I continue to earn more free flair every single month. That is profound. Um, I remember vividly, um, songbird reaching an all time high price of around 60 cents, 55, 60 cents, something like that. And currently the real project, not the test net, the real project is at two cents while they both have similar tokenomics. So the reason I bring this up is because we are in a bear market right now, or excuse me, we are coming out of a bear market right now in the early stages of a bull market. And because of that, this coin is still unbelievably cheap. This is not a shill. This is not a pay to promote. I am simply just telling all of you, I believe strongly in this project. I always have since the beginning. This is this will be an ecosystem where um, a lot of credibility will be gained. We've been able to get a lot of different airdrops like Sologenic and Corium and and um, Elysium and Stetis and uh, so much shit. We've been able to get so much free shit just for holding XRP, but we haven't seen how valuable that truly is yet because of the lawsuit, bear market, blah, blah, blah. I think if you were an XRP holder that went through this crypto winner, and the crypto apocalypses of Terra Luna and FTX and Celsius and all these bankruptcies and you weathered the storm. We're going to come out of it holding some massive technologies in XRP and in Flare. I think Flare is going to be revolutionary and we got it for free. If you didn't get a chance to participate in the airdrop uh, these are still rock bottom levels. I view this as getting into XRP back when it was uh, under a punny, to be honest with you, with Flair. There's something along those lines. So um, that's not to be hypey or, or things like that. That's just how far ahead the technology is. The Google Cloud partnership is only the beginning. I didn't even see that coming. That, that came out of left field, just boom. But I know they're working. I know that they're working hard to get F assets online and I know that they're continuing to build. So just imagine the one, two punch of XRP price appreciation, flare price appreciation, and then being able to earn passive income on your XRP on flare. Woo! Hey, oh, what Island are we buying? My friends, there's one right, right off the coast of uh, Australia that I'm looking at. <laughs> it's called Tasmania. <laughs> get the well, whole island <laughs> so the reason that you're so excited about flare is because you're going to be able to earn a yield on a lot of the assets that you wrap in flare and xrp is just one of those assets but maybe for somebody who doesn't understand can you break it down like really simple what makes flare a successful project from your perspective or an exciting project 
Yeah, for for me, it really simply, without getting into the tech, because I know that goes over a lot of people's. <laughs> I love the chat. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Without going over a lot of people's heads, it's like a double whammy of passive income. You can delegate your flair currently right now to earn, a, dude, how much is it per month? Is it 8 10% Eight. per month? 8%, Eight percent. Yeah. 8% on my flair per month that I compound every month. So it, uh, I didn't start off like from last month, I gained an extra 8%, but because of the other 11 months that, uh, that I've been able to have, it's way more than 8% that I have in total that continues to compound. So it's one of those things where crypto and specifically Flare is is like the stock market on steroids. And staking and these passive yields are like dividends on steroids, right? You compound those dividends, you continue to earn more. I told someone actually, it's like he's earning 3,000 Flare a month. And I'm like... Oh, that's that's great. But the price is two cents right now. So people don't really see the value. If Flare goes inevitably somewhere to where Songbird, the test net of Flare went, which is 50 cents, just hypothetically, um, that's 1500 passively a month on a on a coin you got for free. And that's not even considering you have the base level of value you got from the initial airdrop plus earning rewards for those for the past year. So not only do you get the passive flare, but you'll be able to earn passive XRP and passive stellar and passive doge and passive down the road Bitcoin on this while you're earning passive flare. So I think people really start need to start just you know, understanding that you don't necessarily have to uh, be over here day trading crypto to earn money in crypto. Learn what networks and what projects earn a yield and are strong fundamentally. And I, I think Flare is going to be a, a wealth generating hack for us. I really do. And Johnny, one of the things that we've often discussed on our channel is having a plan, guys. You got to go into this next bull run with a plan to at least have a goal. We always talk about Merlin and we talk about signing up for the app and creating an exit plan. But my first step that I always tell people is take a sticky note and write down your goal. Whatever the number is, whatever would satisfy you for this bull run, put it on a piece of paper and look at it every day. Because from that point, you're going to start to look at that number. And let's use 100,000 as an example. And you're going to say, well, I got to do the math. What's it going to take for me to get there? That's the beginning of creating a plan for the crypto market, and it's so easy to do. It's absolutely free, but lucky for you guys, we created the Merlin application. You get 30 days absolutely free to create an exit plan, figure out your price targets, your tax estimates, but also you can connect your Coinbase, your Uphold, your Kraken, put them all in one location and figure out exactly what your profit's going to be at the end of this bull run. That's what I'm using the product for, guys. So check it out. Leave a comment. Let us know if you think it's great. Let us know what you think we can do to improve the application because that's what we're looking for. We want the feedback. But Johnny, we're going to get into this VeChain smart contract news. I just wanted to preface this. Going into this next bull run without a plan for how much money you want to make is going to lead you to believe that these things go up forever. The first thing that's going to come out when Bitcoin breaks all-time high is, are we going to hit 100,000? Once we hit 100,000, what's the next narrative? Quarter of a million. I don't think we're going to get there. And I think that's the narrative they're going to push on the mainstream news 
So if you don't have a plan to sell at certain price targets, you're always going to be holding out for that hopium. And that's what we're trying to avoid for newer crypto investors. We got the scars on our back, guys. Listen to our advice. But Johnny Crypto, I just want to give you the floor and we'll dive into this article. Yes, we do. Abs. At the end of the day, I tell everybody, if you're getting in something, you better know when the hell you're getting out. Because if you don't and you're listening to the massive, you're going to get played. Just like when Bitcoin was to 69,000 or they tell everybody, oh, we're going to 100. And the masters thought it was going to 100. They were buying the top at 69. And then now they're still holding the bag at 69 because they didn't have an exit plan. So click on the link below, free 30-day trial. You get to try it out. Um, and the great thing about it is we don't cost you your, your coins or keys. Everything's private. It's all yours. Uh, we're just a read-only app. So, Abs, I encourage everybody, whether you decide to get the app or not, just make sure you have an exit plan. That's what's important. Absolutely, guys. And it starts with creating a goal. It always starts by having a goal for yourself because at that point, you're going to say, how do I get there? But let's dive into this article right now as VeChain is going to be launching smart contract wallets, connecting billions of people and companies for mass adoption and blockchain leadership. This is a great announcement. It came out yesterday on Twitter. VeChain has made plans to launch smart contract wallets for greater connectivity. The wallets will amplify its supply chain offerings and enterprise solutions all across the board. VeChain's gearing up to for the introduction of smart contract wallets, which is a development that could connect billions of people and companies worldwide. This development will pave the way for utilization of smart contracts, opening up the exciting possibilities for both developers and users. This Twitter person expressed optimism about the future, noting the potential for widespread adoption. And I believe this is one of the founders or people involved in the VeChain Association. I'll check my sources while you're giving a response here, Johnny. But one of the things we've often talked about when it comes to VeChain is the unique advantage that they have when it comes to partnerships. People don't talk about VeChain very often, but we've seen links to Walmart, Amazon, a lot of Chinese companies as well. Like Alibaba was in the mix during 2021. These are narratives you got to dig a little bit harder to find, but they are there if you do the research. What's your big takeaway from VeChain adding smart contracts and increasing the utility that this project provides? Well, I think when you think overall of the 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 use case it solves, I mean, supply chain is a very, very costly element of any product, you know, consumer good. And when you think about raw materials to manufacturing to then the logistics of shipping it to get it here and then on the shelf and, and you know, cradle to grave, being able to track all that and being able to understand all that can have huge efficiency savings in it. So that's why it's such a big, massive problem that companies are trying to solve for. Now, what's interesting is you've heard in the past these big relationships that 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 they've had uh, with companies like Walmart, with Amazon. But then you've also heard, you know, those aren't necessarily entirely true, and they paid for them rather than rather than those companies adopting them. So we'll have to see how the whole thing plays out. But I think at the end of the day, VeChain, Morpheus, they solve a real world problem. People asked earlier in the chat. What should we be investing in? What what what'll be here? What'll survive? What'll go away? Well, things like those, those type of projects where they're solving a real world problem, something like a V chain or a Morpheus, those have a chance to be around, as opposed to something like a Safe Moon or a, a or, or or a Pepe or a Doge. Those things they're not solving anything. The only chance they have for survival is if somebody like Elon gives it a use case because they make it a payment system that you know is required to use to use their system. Other than that, there's no real world solve. So for me, when I'm thinking of which horses I want to put in my stable, I'm going to be looking at ones that have real world solves, not ones that require on one or two people to be able to bring them to life. Bearable Bull, overall, what are your thoughts on VeChain as well as the smart contract capabilities? Partnerships are big because to use these technologies, you're going to need access. 
I think it's important, even if VeChain paid for a lot of those partnerships, we saw that with MoneyGram and Ripple. We've seen something similar with Stellar. I don't think that's totally a negative. I just think it's part of the game. So what, what was your biggest takeaway? And we'll dive into the partnerships. No, absolutely. It's um, VeChain has been a mainstay in my portfolio for a long time, since even 2017. I've been around since v Vet used to be called Ven. That's how long I've been around with, with VeChain. I've always liked it. I've liked the fact that they're they have heavy connections in China. I like that a lot. Um, some people will be like, "Oh no, why would you like that?" But that's that's a sixth of the world's population that a lot of American companies can't tap into. A lot of other companies can't tap into. So that's very important. They have a lot of major partnerships, uh, like you mentioned. But it's one of those things where Ripple did this exact same thing as well, like you mentioned. Paying for partnerships is not a problem. Sometimes companies need to be offered a tremendous deal and heavily incentivized to adapt and pivot and upgrade technology. Because if there's no incentive, why change? You know, so they're they're trying to incentivize people to come into their products and and use their tech. And I, I see nothing wrong with that at all. I, on the other hand, or on the contrary, I would have a problem if companies weren't trying to incentivize people to use their tech. It's like, why aren't you doing your absolute best? It's like move fast and break things, I think, is one of the sayings in, in Silicon Valley because of the SEC for doing absolutely nothing wrong, you'll be found innocent in court like Ripple showed. And so, <laughs> yep, yeah. exactly. And I want to close this episode out, Bull. But first of all, saying thank you for joining us this morning. A lot of people are anticipating a bullish year for XRP. I want to get your take. What do you see overall? You can go long-term, short-term, whatever you think is, is more valuable for people out there. But as we yeah. look at the XRP price chart, there's one thing that's clear. We haven't had our bull run, guys. There's no explosive price movement. And even the manipulated wick, uh, manipulated wick that happened after the XRP case. I think this is just another trend in the right direction. We're just slowly trending up, creating higher highs and higher lows. But I want to get your take. Where do you see us at the end of 2024 and, and maybe other any other context you'd like to provide? Yeah. Um, well, to answer your first question, by the end of 2024, um, I expect new all-time highs. And it's very possible that we'll be much higher than that. In between is irrelevant to me. I, I had Waters Above on my channel the other day saying we could be bearish for a month or two here. And that's that doesn't matter at all. It's a little more time to get more money together to accumulate more crypto uh, for the big onslaught. If you're new to the market and you just got in in 2023, 2024, you are so lucky that you got to take advantage of this opportunity. Bless you. Um, any short-term downturn is irrelevant in the grand scheme of what is about to happen. But for XRP, especially in 2024, given the fact that it's about to finish its lawsuit, it might have some moments where the price deviates from the rest of crypto, similar to how we saw in July um, with the end of with with it being called a non-security. I genuinely believe that XRP will have those type of moments and. I think we're going to see a lot of what's been being built under the hood for Ripple and XRP um, for over the entire year. I think a lot of powerful news is going to break. I remember in 2017, nothing happened and then everything happened all at once. But 
there was a lot of news that helped catalyze the price while the price was already up. So I expect an onslaught of marketing and news to be released as well to justify the price action. But honestly, these algorithms and these uh, these token prices are built in. I'm a big believer that the prices know where they're going to go much ahead of time. And the big boys know where the prices are going to go ahead of time. So um, don't fret, accumulate, have your exit strategies ready. Um, I do see much, much higher prices, new old time highs, 2024, without a doubt. Let me ask you this real quick follow-up here, Bull. We look at the price chart and we saw what happened in 2021. It's obviously a different environment this time. Do you think the suppression that we experienced in 2021 is going to lead to an overly bullish bull market this time? Or is that just something that happened in the past? we got to deal with the consequences. I'm really interested if you think there, that that hyper suppression could play a factor this next time around because obviously it doesn't exist. Yeah, I, I think... I'm going to give you my uh, my opinion, but then I'm also going to give you how I'm going to play it because those are different things. I believe that it will play a bit of a factor. I believe that because um, XRP has been building or Ripple and XRP have been building so much under the hood, behind the scenes, under the year or over the years, it will most definitely have extra demand, especially because it had minimal demand last time around um however that's not going to change my exit strategy um i'm i'm going to take money like i'm going to take money out like xrp isn't suppressed i'm going to take money out like it won't have extra value given to it because it missed the 2021 bull run right that's that's how i'm going to be playing the market so I would recommend that as well. Have your own targets ready. You can believe whatever you want, but your belief needs to be different from how you take money out realistically and rationally from crypto. That's that's the thing. I can I can say we're going to the moon tomorrow, right? But if we don't go to the moon tomorrow, that doesn't mean I'm going to get mad and sell everything because <laughs> because why, you know? So that's, yeah, that's the way you have to navigate these spaces. And this is a good example of an exit plan, guys. These are completely fake and hypothetical numbers here, but this is a great example of what you should be doing for yourself. And then if you want to take it to the next level, check out Merlin 30 days, absolutely free. And you can put in your numbers right here, but this is what you got to do. You got to have a price target and then you figure out exactly how much you've earned but how much you owe the government as well. This is a big factor. People think you make $100,000 in crypto. That's not $100,000 in your pocket, my friend. That's about $78,000 in your pocket, depending on where you are. And that's something that people often forget to factor in. So Johnny, as you're looking at 2024, I'd love to hear your take on XRP. Optimistic, pessimistic. We got a lot of positive stuff on the horizon, but still, throughout the test of time, XRP has long time been suppressed. Haven't broken all-time highs since 2018. And we've heard the narratives. This is the time. This is the year. What makes this different from your perspective? Well, I mean, I think it's clearly obvious, right? At the end of the day, we no longer have the monkey on its back. The SEC is off. That little bastard's out of here. So now it has it has the ability. <laughs> you got the bull going there. It has the ability now for it to be able to do what it's supposed to do, right? We're going to be able to see how far, how high XRP can go in a bull market with with 
positive narratives and excitement and money coming in without a negative narrative on its back of being, oh, hey, this thing's under, you know, lawsuit, uncertainty. And when you have uncertainty, fear and doubt, you know, that's going to drive money away. And so now we don't have that. Abs. Now, here's the, here's the challenge for XRP. Everybody has high expectations for it. And you see a lot of people, you know, we see it all the time. People in our chat, people, you know, t- messaging us all the time saying, I'm losing patience. I'm getting tired of getting, you know, of, of this whole thing of how long do I have to wait for XRP to take off? I think this is the year people are expecting it to take off. And if we have, a, you know, during the next bull run, if you don't see XRP busting through all-time highs, I think you're going to see people getting very, very frustrated with it if it can't do it without the monkey on its back. So high expectations. Go ahead, Bull. But that's, but that's the thing, right? XRP likes to move last anyway. So yep. people are probably going to get dissuaded from it, not knowing that it has the tendency of, of lagging behind a lot of other people. They're like, okay, so you mean to tell me that this this shit coin just went through a three-year-long lawsuit? I don't care if they were right or not, or innocent or, or, innocent or not. The time has been wasted. The price has been suppressed. I didn't get my profits because I thought it was going to 589 because I know there are some people that thought that. <laughs> <laughs> but you mean to tell me now in this bull market, I have to wait until everything else moves in order to get that benefit too? And there are going to be people that aren't for it. And that's absolutely fine. You know, you're yeah. you're allowed to play the market the way you will. I'm certainly not 100% in XRP. I'm only a third in XRP. And I'm one of the biggest XRP bulls on the planet. Like XRP is only a third of my portfolio because I believe there will be a front running of the market by other alts. I'll be I'm diversified, so I could take advantage of that. And any profits that I get from those, I'm going to funnel into XRP for the grand finale, my friend. Yeah. We got to have an XLM chat really quick, Johnny, because I pulled up this chart that David Schwartz showed a couple of weeks ago on Twitter. And this is a logarithmic chart. Uh, I almost called you waters above bearable bull, but this is what's pretty interesting about this chart is that the correlation is shocking. And even catalysts that only have to do with XRP are moving the XLM price chart, whether it was the lawsuit that ended in July, we got a massive pump on XLM, but also do you remember this October when there was a rumor that BlackRock had filed paperwork for an XRP ETF that Mm -hmm. day, XRP went from about 58, uh, it might've been lower. It might've been 54 cents to about 68 cents in a single hour. That's not what caught my attention. What caught my attention is that XLM did the exact same thing with zero correlation in the news. So I just wanted to get your take. When we look at the correlation between XRP and XLM, you stated it yourself. XRP is going to move last. Do you put XLM in that category as well? Yeah, roughly. Um, they they move at exactly the same time. I don't know if it's the AI algorithm that runs them both that makes it's funny because XLM follows XRP, but XRP doesn't follow XLM. And if you remember when the lawsuit broke, like XLM actually deviated and exploded in value a little bit for a while. And I think it's, yeah, I think you can see it on the chart too in 2020, but that's besides the point. Um, yeah, XLM follows XRP and it's probably just built into the, price algorithm that they both have so it's it's one of those things that's very strange but you know they, they probably just got lazy they're like oh, all right this is how xrp is gonna move and we're gonna move this the same way why not because <laughs> yeah, they're, they're the same thing 
the same thing. They'll probably tackle different little niches in the space, but it's the same thing. Johnny, one more question for the bull here, because I want to talk about tokenization and XLM. Franklin Templeton thought XLM's product was so good that it didn't even need to be pitched from the stellar organization. They just went to the SEC and said, is it okay if we use this technology? That to me is a sign of what, what is like thriving versus what is, you know, only succeeding because of partnerships, if that makes sense. There will be an, um, a natural migration into better technologies, and that's yet to take place. But XLM and XRP, as well as HBAR, are three of the best technologies that exist today. So my question for you is, when you look at tokenization and what we've seen in the U.S. thus far, do you think XLM has some sort of a unique advantage because of companies like Franklin and Templeton recognizing the utility it has? Well, I think there's certainly some credibility to be said there when a technology that isn't being pushed by anybody actually gets picked up and adopted. And if you listen to Franklin Temple and you listen to the stellar CEO, she literally said, we had no clue Franklin was using our technology. They didn't come to us. They didn't talk to us. We didn't go to them and sell it. They found it. They tested it. They loved it. And they used it. That right there, if you don't, if you're not in technology, you won't, you don't, you will not appreciate how huge that statement is. I'm in technology. I understand. If you're going and you're seeking out a technology, you find something, you like it, and you use it. There it is right there. This is the one. Um, that is saying Can you send something. that to me in the DMs? Yep, yeah, we'll do. That is Thank saying you. something about your technology. When <laughs> a company seeks it out, finds it, and adopts it. It means a lot right there, okay? So you can take that for the grain of salt, whatever you want. But to me, that that's one of the reasons why I'm happy to say I got this song, bitch, packed in my bags. Yeah, this is definitely one of my horses in the stable. And Bull said something that's important. I want to just reiterate it. He's one of the biggest bulls out there in XRP, and we are here, too, on this show. And only 30% of his bags are XRP, which is funny because that's kind of close to mine, too. But the reality is you better make sure you're diversified. None of us know which one of these coins are going to win and lose. I mean, we all think we right? Everybody in the chat thinks they know which one's going to win. You don't. I know you think you do, but you don't. Nobody knows. And the reality is, you know, everybody thought Petco was going to be huge too in 1997. And that's so much crashed and burned, right? So the reality is you better be diversified. If you're diversified, you have a really good chance. Even if you're the biggest bull in something, and even the biggest bulls we have, you could see here right now, it's only 30% invested in this favorite coin. So just goes to show you diversification is the key. And this is another thing we got to include. The tokenization of assets hasn't began yet, Waters. And this is a massive catalyst because when you begin tokenizing assets on blockchains, you take that value and you lock it into the blockchain. That is completely different. If I had a $500,000 house and I was going to tokenize it, I've now taken $500,000 worth of value and basically duplicated it. We see banks do this with gold. We see people do this on their balance sheets. Now we're going to be able to do that as regular everyday investors with tokenized assets. This doesn't even exist. So shout out. We got 730 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And congratulations because you are here before regulation, tokenization, and obviously ETF products as well. So a lot of wealthy people listening right now. But Waters, what's your biggest takeaway? When you look at tokenization, how do you think that's going to impact the prices of some of our favorite projects? Once tokenization comes, um, the boomers, <laughs> the boomers will be thoroughly left behind. Imagine a boomer trying to trying to tokenize their house, their fifteen million dollar house that they got for pebbles and peanuts. 
<laughs> it's one of those things where it'll be a. I, I think we're gradually moving into the age of fractional ownership. Um, when the World Economic Forum said you'll own nothing and be happy, uh, it's it's true. You won't own anything, but you'll probably be able to have a fraction of an asset that is collateralized by the real asset that some hedge fund owns somewhere in Idaho. You know, it's what that that's what I think the future is. You hear millennials complain that they can't get a home. It's a renter's market, a renter's world right now, unfortunately. And and it's sad to hear, but that's that's where we're going. Um, but the tokeniz the tokenization of real world assets, stocks, derivatives, um, real estate, gold. This is going to be incredible to see. Imagine those tokens in your own wallet and on the same wallet, you'll be able to have XRP and then maybe Apple and Tesla and then see your home and then also own maybe a fraction of the Mona Lisa and then have some tokenized gold in your same wallet right there. That'll be incredible. And here's another example. Uh, I keep almost calling you Waters Bearable Bull. So shout out to our boy Waters above. I guess we got to get him on the show because he's on my mind, Johnny. But this was an update I found from the Algorand Foundation about how they're already democratizing real estate. What they're doing is they're taking, let's use a, a million dollar property, for example, dividing that up into 300 separate quadrants and allowing you to purchase a token that is correlated to ownership within that piece of real estate. Get ready, guys. That's going to be the boom of the century. When I can take $500 and purchase 0.0001% of a Marriott, there's going to be a lot of people who take advantage of these new situations. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on Algorand. A lot of people who hold XRP and, and HBAR, they also hold Algorand. So is this a project that you're also optimistic on, especially when it comes to tokenization? Waters. Or, sorry, bearable. <laughs> if you call me Waters one more time, I'm never coming back <laughs> to the show. That's six times. <laughs> you got my word. Let me see. Um, the real estate market. What was your question? It feels like my my question for how all of this will work is how how will the division of being allowed in the home work, right? Like, what if one of the fractional owners wants to, you know, be there for like a couple weeks? What if? another day if someone else wants to airbnb it like how does that work is that fractional ownership of time at the property is it fractional ownership of the revenue share of renting it out like who decides what happens with that property i i don't know um how exactly that's gonna go and i don't know how that looks yet but i think you're right it's gonna be a massive explosion and i'm excited for it one more topic I'd love to cover here, Bearable Bull, because this stuck out to me yesterday as Ripple hired a former R3 employee to head their digital asset and CBDC development. He said, I'm extremely impressed by Ripple's robust enterprise blockchain solutions and the public XRP ledger that has withstood the test of time. Ripple has proven that regulation and cryptocurrency innovation can coexist in our new global digital economy. I'm officially a Rippler. Pretty exciting news, but the connection here, that's what stuck out to me. This is a former employee of R3, and he worked at the organization from 2016 until 2022, Bearable Bull. 
I just want to get some of your thoughts on this news overall as an R3 employee is now going to be leading digital asset and CBDC development at Ripple. Pretty interesting. Yeah, I think these big companies all, they all commingle with each other. They like steal each other's people. They get their little insider secrets from each other. A, uh, that politics has always been interesting to me, but, and I don't, it's not that I view it as nothing. It's that I understand that just one hiring for, for one role isn't the end all be all. Doesn't mean there's like some mass conspiracy that R3 is going to start using XRP, but we do know that R3 has connections with like XCC, for example. Right. And it's being speculated that XDC is going to re really tap into the trade finance market and things along those lines. And maybe, you know, this hiring is one of those things that they want to uh, remind me. What is what is his role at the company again? Because I saw this. He's, he's going to be leading business development for central bank digital currencies and digital assets. Yeah, well, you, you know, with with um, I think it was James Wallace. He was over here talking about how 15% of central banks are have been in talks or discussions and will be piloting CBDCs on Ripple. So I think I think 2024 and 2025 are going to be the years of CBDCs without a shadow of a doubt. Um, Thank and you by so that, much. And by that, I don't mean that um, that America will adopt it or some big countries will adopt it. But I think a lot of nations, a lot of smaller nations, because that's how it needs to start, are definitely going to go live with some CBDCs. And I think that's going to be some to bold, my friends. And this is something we've been asking a lot of our special guests. When is your prediction? And you're not going to be held accountable here. It's just interesting. We're going to ask Yasko. We're going to ask Gary Cardone next week. But I want to hear from the bull. What is your prediction for when the peak of the next bull market will be? We've heard November of 2025 if we follow earlier uh, similar cycles, but some people think we're going through an accelerated cycle right now. So we could actually see the top of the market happen in the next 18 months. I just want to hear your perspective, and then we'll close out the show. Um, this this might be more bearish than some people, but let's say January 2025. You heard it here, guys. We're going to compare it to other people's answers as well, but we appreciate you, Bearable Bull. We got 717 live listeners here joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And guys, go check out the Bearable Bull. If you don't already follow him on Twitter, it is at the Bearable Bull on YouTube and Twitter. Go watch his content. It's amazing. I want to give a special thank you to Johnny, a special thank you to the Bull. We'll see you guys in 72 hours. And like we always say, Warriors, guys, get the shit together, baby. Thank you for joining us. Let's go.